You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Exciting news. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who have been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com, and then definitely follow them on Instagram for all the information that you need, because I'm sure that's where you follow us as well, at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. The reason I'm here today is I'm going to interview a mate of mine who has a fourth generation business from Oklahoma. Been in business over 75 years. Pretty interesting. Uh, We met on the golf course, like most of the mates that I have. Uh, But welcome to the podcast, Mr. Matt Brown. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a while, isn't it? It has been, for sure. Last time we played golf was Shangri-La. I think. I think you're correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. It probably was uh, Shangri-La. And then before that, uh, maybe in Shawnee. Yeah. We played the Fire Lake. We played Uh, in the Fire Lake tournament. We did. And that's obviously a lot to do with work, isn't it, for you? Correct. It's not just like, oh, we're going to go play golf and have a great time. It's it's no that's that is a business. That that golf is a uh, is a business. event for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Potawatomi tribe is one of our customers. We supply fuel to their grocery stores and uh, gas stations. Yeah. So for people listening um, who don't know you, don't know the business, it's Red Rock Distribution and been in business since 30, 1937. Yeah, actually, my great-grandfather started the business prior to that. Uh, okay. um, and then we acquired a business called uh, Red Rock Distributing, which was a Conoco distributor sure. back in the mid-30s. Um, and so we switched the name in, of the entire company to Red Rock Distributing in 1937 and yeah. have called it that ever since. Before, it was called Brown and Sons. Yeah. Um, and so my great-grandfather started it, and my grandfather and his brother, um, after they went to college um, and... Uh, served in uh, the military, came back, went to work with my great-grandfather, and then my father worked here, and now I'm here. It's just nature, nature, family business. Uh, So was great-granddad in the war? Uh, He he was not. Okay. um, And my grandfather served, but not in a... um, no action, right? Um, particularly, but he was in uh, in the military and um, on the West Coast here, and um, really, he wanted to be a farmer. He went to Oklahoma State, um, got his ag degree, and his whole uh, idea. My life would be completely different now, as you yeah, know totally me different. very well. <laughs> um, I could be a farmer, um, which is hilarious in a bunch of different ways, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that, he wanted to come back and be a farmer, and my grand, my great grandfather said, "Hey, I need your help. Um, I need right. you and your brother to help me out with this business." And so, I wouldn't say begrudgingly, but probably a little bit begrudgingly, yeah. he uh, came back and got in the business with my great grandfather in the stockyards. Yeah, which it was a like a gas station and a store at that point, right? Right. When they had a service out. station, and then they had uh, what we call a bobtail, which was a really small. Uh, tank truck okay. that had um, back then I think it had like a 500 gallon tank on the back and they would um, sell fuel to other yeah. uh, places out of the 500 gallon tank and distribute it that way but um, you know most of it was through the service station where mm-hmm. my grandfather and his brother worked and yeah. you know, in the full full service days of service stations where they did tires, batteries, accessories, One gas, shot. everything um, was done right there. And that first station we still, uh, which was down in the stockyards, we still own uh, both of the spots where those um, original stations were yeah. down in the stockyards. So the stations aren't there, but you still have the land. Correct. Cool. Yeah. they. We finally took um, at 9th and Agnew, Uh, We finally took that station completely out of service and took the tanks out and everything um, three or four years ago. That was a recent then. Yeah. I mean, it hadn't operated as a gas station in 30 years. But yeah, yeah. we... um, 
we had a bunch of tanks over there, so sometimes we would store bulk fuel over there if we needed right. to for, for something. And yeah. finally, it was time to just kind of yeah. repurpose that whole deal. So we've got some plans to do some other stuff over there eventually, but mm-hmm. uh, right now, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a cool area, isn't it? Then I don't think it gets the traffic it deserves. It's kind of a weird, you know, I mean, before Bricktown, before Plaza District, before all these other districts, I mean, Stockyards was kind of the hub of mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. I mean, it's what made it go. It's still got the largest, um, you know, working um, auction uh, in the United States, I think. Um, I mean, they process a ton of cattle um, as well as other livestock through there. Yeah every Monday and Tuesday and um, you know it's a great little area it's but it's definitely an area I think people from Oklahoma um, you know don't necessarily embrace yeah. their Western heritage in the way maybe they should and you know maybe I'm a perfect example of that I'm not the most Western person <laughs> uh, you've probably met people doing listening this. people listening to listening to this that know you are laughing their heads off right now because right. they can't see you on a farm right <laughs> at um, all. no yeah. um, me driving a tractor or uh, you know I guess mucking stalls or doing yeah. any of that stuff um, but when I was little I mean that was part of my life yeah. I mean my my grandfather that was the first thing uh, he did when he was able to is he bought a ranch and farm uh, out in what's uh, well Payton just outside of Payton Oklahoma which mm-hmm. is close to Prague um, and he raised uh, we had cattle and um, alfalfa and all kinds of different things so I got to see growing up I got to see you know a little bit of all of that um, yeah. and and I think it's important you know I I probably have not done a great job with my kids um, in sharing some of that with them but I grew up riding horses I grew up you know going to the farm every weekend right. with my dad and grandfather and um, you know it was a great piece great yeah. piece of my life and you know maybe someday when i get older it'd be fun to have a ranch and right. not have to do all the work maybe yeah exactly that's the cool thing in it, is having horse and having a ranch and not having to do anything but having all this land to just roam around and yeah do whatever maybe you i'll want just on. call ralph lauren and see if i can ride <laughs> over and go over to the double rl ranch and kind of hang out with him and do whatever he does yeah that wouldn't suck would that it? sounds like a pretty good thing definitely yeah. there's i can't remember what the store is there's they're everywhere but the one i'm thinking of is one in santa fe and it's in the square in santa fe and it's just like a western store I can't remember what it's called, but I, the catalog of it is what I would see as like a, that's my view of like being on a ranch, it's just right. like riding this beautiful horse dressed in this great western way, more fashion than like wor- you know yeah, working. Yeah, kind of the way. Marlboro Man exactly. uh, of today, and um, yeah, I mean I think there's something great about being out in the country and not having to worry about right. you know driving and getting somewhere in a hurry or yeah. getting to your next appointment or doing whatever. I mean, there's, there's definitely something relaxing about it. And mm-hmm. I love that part of my life. It's just not, um, as easy today right. as it was back then yeah, to make def- that, totally. make that a reality. But, um, but yeah, I mean, things could have been very different had my grandfather, um, yeah. had his, had his way and, um, you know, maybe I'd be, doing something totally different on a combine right. or a tractor or which is whatever. still a massive business too like it's Oklahoma's oh. one of Oklahoma's biggest businesses and you know the <clears throat> ag industry especially coming out of OSU and everything that they have going on I don't it, think people realize how big it is no it's amazing and it's not just in the obvious places but you know you go out to western Oklahoma and mm-hmm. you know forever for miles and miles you just see um, farms and you know same thing in southwestern Oklahoma southeastern Oklahoma it's um, you know northeastern Oklahoma is there's still quite a bit of agriculture but it's mm-hmm. a little bit different um, size and scale just because it's so green yeah. <laughs> and the terrain's different um, but yeah I mean I think that's an important part of the Oklahoma story and yeah. um, you know I'm I'm by far the least Western person in the on the Stockyards Main Street um, organization board um, that I've served on for the last, uh, I guess, almost 20 years now. Yeah. Um, but it's fun. It's great to have perspective that's different, um, you know, and go down there and, and see people and see successful people that have been down there for a long time. Right. David Egan and Cattlemen's and 
the guys over at Langston's and Joe at Little Joe's. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's great places to go, as you know, um, and experience and see a little bit of what Oklahoma is all about. There's great right. artisans and craftsmen down there making hand-tooled saddles and all kinds of stuff. So it's a great... Shorty's is there too, the hat place, right? Shorty's is there. She does an place. amazing yeah. uh, job with custom-made hats. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a great spot to go and kind of experience you know what Oklahoma was like and kind of how we got to where we are today I mean everybody thinks of Oklahoma as being you know kind of an oil place which it is um, but it got its start uh, really um, in all earnestness and you know being an agricultural hub Um, Oklahoma City Kansas City um, kind of these Chicago these kind of central parts Mm -hmm. as people moved west um, you know, this is yeah. where they brought their livestock and um, there were tons of packing plants down there and processing plants. And uh, my grandfather always referred to that area as Packintown, <laughs> which I never really fully understood until I yeah. came back here in my uh, older years and um, kind of learned a little bit more of the history. But right. Yeah. So granddad has starts, great granddad starts the business and, you know, gets granddad in and you all, I guess, how do you say granddad's brother? <laughs> I yeah, I don't know what that becomes. What, yeah. yeah. Anyway, family start the business and it quickly grows and you have, you know, go into having quite a lot of convenience stores too, right? Yeah. In the seventies, um, I mean, we, we, own, we've always owned like service stations or uh-huh. my, during my grandfather's, um, tenure, we owned some, um, what would be traditional service stations. Sure. Um, a couple of truck stops along I-35, um, and I-40. Um, and, you know, we would distribute the fuel to ourselves. Um, and then in the mid-70s, um, this kind of concept of converting service station bays into, like, many grocery stores right. um, started. Um, about the same time, you had um, the Browns from 7-Eleven. You had Tom and Judy Love out in Watonga start Loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad um, converted the first couple of our service stations into convenience stores. Um, and again, it was basically just taking the bays of the service station. Um, instead of having roll-up doors, you put in, you built a wall and yeah. built a couple of doors in. And um, you just sold basically groceries. Yeah. Um, and we got up to, I believe, 32 convenience stores in the Oklahoma City area. I mean, metro area. Yeah. We had them, uh, Edmond and Choctaw and Hara and Nakoma Park. Um, and so we had those stores, and that was kind of my dad's, um, well, it was by far not his only contribution, but it was a big part sure. of what he did when he came back after being at Oklahoma State. Um, he came back, went to work with my grandfather and kind of did the C-store bit. Um, right. Back then we had, I think when we sold, we sold the stores in a couple of different packages, but um, 1997 was when we um, sold the last group of stores. And I mm-hmm. think... Um, kind of during that time period we had 250 maybe employees um, running all the convenience stores it's just it's a very labor intensive business so when you go into bat with like 7-eleven and on queue and all the rest you have like the the you know the worldwide kind of world, the nationwide kind of network of stores right right i know and i know 7-eleven is oklahoma only state right we have Right, and and everybody has a little different, um, you know, back then, there was pretty much a lot of independent people. So, like, we had stores that were called Save-A-Stop convenience stores. Um, There's a lot of Walgreens on the corners now where we had um, Save-A-Stop convenience stores. But, um, yeah, Save-A-Stop and 7-Eleven were kind of the big, um, like, locally owned um, obviously Loves as well, but yeah. Loves kind of changed their strategy and went more towards travel stops. Gotcha. Um, and 7-Eleven kind of continued to grow here in the city with their convenience stores. And then the um, major oil companies realized that there was money to be made in that. And they had right. always... Um, they have several different arrangements, but they had had arrangements with people like us who were distributors to... Yeah. 
um, sell gas through our stations and stores, and they realized that, hey, maybe we should own some of those. So growing up for me in the 70s and 80s, the biggest competition that we faced was uh-huh the same people who were selling us our gas also owned other stations. And so yeah. we were competing with them. Like BP, and, uh, Shell, Philips, and yeah, Esso. Yeah, well, and here it was like Texaco, Conoco, okay. Philips. Um, those were the big yeah. three at that time. Um, and then, of course, Texaco turned into Shell. Um, and then for a small time, Total was here, mm-hmm. or Total, yeah. as people in Oklahoma would call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were purchased by Valero, and so now you see Valero stores here. Right. Um, and then Conoco and Phillips merged together. Um, so, you know, the industry kind of evolves about, it seems like most things in life, about every, you know, 10 to 20 years, there's kind yeah. of a change in the way things go. And um, in the early 2000s, the oil companies decided they wanted to get out of direct directly operating those retail sites and so they sold a bunch of those and so then you had um you know places like star fuels um star mart was um, a big brand here kind of in the 2000s i guess from probably about 2004 to 2010 or 11 and then they sold to kmart so that's where we get the get some of the k um Stores and so, uh, you know, now it's mostly independent, right? Um, people yeah. working to, you know, sell as much gas as they can and as much stuff as they can inside, right? Do they make the independence? Do they would you say their revenue comes a lot more from what's in the store rather than the gas? Uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, the gas. You know, we joke the all gas the time. Just brings the, them to the corner, and then they they have to upsell everything that's in the right. store. Right. I mean, grocery stores don't post the price of milk or bread on the outside of their <laughs> sign and say, "Hey, come in here." They say, "Hey, we've got a bunch of stuff," and yeah. you go in and you just pay whatever it is. Sure. Um, you know, gas stations, for whatever reason, thought that that was a great idea. Yeah. Um, for I mean, like you can go back to the pictures of the '30s, and there are pictures up. of the price outside which just makes yeah. no business sense at all there would be no case study would you where you would ever say right. this is the best way to sell your product but um yeah we've always posted our prices on the outside yeah. and so gas is really a a way to get people to the site um mm-hmm. and then you hope that you can get people inside the store and right um let them come in and buy something at a little bit higher margin um the gas margins are pretty small um, overall, and I'm um, sure getting smaller over time. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I don't think unless you were born into this business, there isn't anybody who would say, "Oh, I want to be a fuel wholesaler." Yeah. Um, this seems like a great business model. <laughs> the returns are fantastic on the, you know, the ROI right. is. Uh, I mean, people would laugh if they actually sure, knew what they did, yeah. but it's a volume-based business now. Sure. And that, that wasn't always the case, but it has been for the last 30 years or so yeah. um, and has kind of evolved into that to where now um, there's been a lot of consolidation. Um, that's what I did a lot of when I very first came back. I spent a lot of my time um, finding other wholesalers like us who were right. small and you know were tired of the business or didn't have a succession plan mm-hmm. and so we acquired i think we did six acquisitions in the first 10 years or so that i was here five right. or six um and grew our volume to um you know be able to compete a little bit better now and so yeah. um you know very slim margins um yeah, but uh, still a great business and something that you know i think in oklahoma people probably don't uh, appreciate as much their freedom and their ability oh, yeah. because we just take it for granted. Yeah. Um, but when you travel, when you go to New York or you go to um, other big cities and actually are in the city mm-hmm. itself, I mean, even Dallas to some degree has this issue today, you know, between traffic and getting around, it, it is almost easier to use public transportation than it is to have your own oh, car. Oh, yeah, definitely. Whereas here, I mean, I... I and no disrespect to Embark or any of the you know, right. public transit people that we have here, but I mean, I don't know anybody who uses that on a regular yeah, basis I, because I still it's, haven't used it. I mean, you can literally, you know, drive yourself or 
Um, you know, it's the city has been much better about building bike lanes. I mean, you right. can ride your bike places now. You, we've got we spent a bunch of money on sidewalks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a much more accessible city um, than it ha- ever has been, yeah. for sure. But definitely, being able to drive your car somewhere is an important part of being a Midwesterner, if you will. And yeah. calling Oklahoma a Midwest state is probably a little bit silly but they tend to lump themselves into that category yeah definitely so you uh, kind of graduated university and then went to work for phillips is that right that's right i um went to school here then i went to southern methodist university in dallas after i graduated high school and uh spent four years down there and um i mean this is a typical me story, which you'll appreciate, Mike, but um, I had uh, a bunch of friends uh, that were either in my fraternity or just guys that I knew, Mm -hmm. and we had a plan that after we graduated, we were going to take a year off, and we had cleared this with our parents, that we were going to take a year off and uh, travel and kind of you know, I guess it, like the fancy word now is gap year. Yeah. Yes. But we were going to kind of take this year and, um, travel and experience things and kind of figure out what we all wanted to do. And, uh, this was in 1994, we were all juniors and, uh, this was back in the time when financial consulting firms, that was all the, and we were all in business school. And so yeah. we would go and we were getting recruited all the time, um, by, you know, Goldman Sachs or, whoever, all these different consulting firms. And um, kind of one by one, my buddies that were supposed to go on this trip ended up signing these deals because they were, you know, uh, basically getting paid um, to come an intern and then take a job as soon as they graduated. So our group of six dwindled down to three pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And then about three months before we graduated in May of 95, uh, the last two guys were like, Hey, I hate to break this to you, but, um, and I, one of them went to Goldman. I think, think the other one went to Arthur Anderson. I can't remember now, but, um, they were like, yep, we're, we've been offered a good, we've been, we we can't pass this up. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, the whole time, I've just been planning what I'm going to do for the next year. I had not been, I mean, I had gone to some of these deals, but I hadn't taken it very seriously, obviously, because nobody was offering me a job. Um, And so I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do. And I wouldn't say I took off the year. I did work, um, but there was a store in Dallas that uh, I shopped at and I had some uh, retail experience Mm -hmm. when I was in, school before college. So I kind of took a buyer slash manager job for a family owned business in uh, Dallas for about nine months while I figured out what I wanted to do. And I, back then this is before Skype and video interviews and all of that, but I interviewed with, uh, I think four oil companies and ended up picking to work for Phillips Mm -hmm. and Bartlesville strictly because it was in Oklahoma. Right. Um, I had offers from Conoco to go to Houston, from uh, Coke Industries to go to North Carolina. Um, and I really, I, I just was not interested yeah. in doing that. I was, uh, I guess at that time I was dating uh, my now wife and it just seemed like that would be way too far for us right. to, uh, you know, to spend time, to spend that much time apart. So went to work in Bartlesville for Phillips and it, it probably was one of the better decisions yeah. um, I made and for all the wrong reasons probably, but, um, it turned out to be okay. It turned out great. It yeah. was, I mean, I learned everything there was to learn about the people that I do business with now, um, right. from the inside, which I would have never, I didn't think about it like that at the time. Yeah. Um, but instead of just coming back and working in the family business, like my grandfather and my dad had done without really any other, mm-hmm. um, experience, I got to, I did, I, I worked in a couple of different family retail operations and then, um, you know, went to work for one of the biggest oil companies in the world yeah. and learned how they operated. Um, yeah. and so it's been a huge benefit to me now on this side as we, 
deal with do those contracts or work with stuff. them on different things. Right. I know um, now it's been a while since I worked there, and I'm sure some things have changed. But but you know what large companies their boxes like and that. stuff like that, right? You know what they you look bet. for, and, and it's much easier if you negotiate with them because you can say, "Hey, I w- I know what you do. I worked right. in your shoes." Well, and they, uh, you know, I'd never worked for a company that had stockholders. Yeah. All of the as as many jobs as I had had and, and, and people I had worked with, they had all been family businesses. I mean, I grew up working in a family business and then I worked for two other families in their businesses. And so, um, I joke my, you know, I went to work there and I had a secretary when I got there, I was like 22 and I had a secretary who was in her early forties. Yeah. And I was like, I, what, what do I do with the secretary? I don't, I mean, I've never had a second. My dad's <laughs> never had like, I don't right. even know what you do with the secretary. Yeah. Um, and she was great. She taught, she was, um, she had worked for the company for a long time and she was great at kind of explaining to me how it works. And, yeah. um, you know, I was lucky too, and that I knew my end goal, um, at that point I'd known all along, I wanted to come back and work with my dad. He's always been, uh, you know, a mentor of mine. Sure. And I knew I wanted to come back here and work with him. I just, I knew it was going to be hard with my grandfather and my dad, like three okay. Browns in yeah. the same place might be right, two you, Browns you too many. You come back with all of this, like, you know, progressive, like I want to do this, this and this. I think this is where things are going. This is what I see out there. And your granddad's just like, this is how we've done it. This is how we've always done it. Nothing needs to change. We're still making money, right? Right. And my grandfather worked until he was in his early to mid eighties, um, which is pretty crazy. I mean, but he's from that generation yeah. that, that that was what he did. He played golf, um, you know, recreationally, but he didn't really have, I wouldn't call it a hobby. He never mm-hmm. played during the week. He only played on Sundays. Um, and he played with my grandmother or with me and my grandmother. Yeah. Um, but he was not like if somebody called him to play on a Thursday. It's like, no, I have to um, work. Yeah. I mean, he, there was no business excuse for him to be. Which is totally golf. different in today's world. Right. What are you saying, Mike? Yeah. Like I if mean, I get I an can, excuse to play golf, I want to go play golf. I can think of a few business reasons to play golf exactly. during the week. Um, I'm not afraid of that. Yeah. Uh, but. But yeah, so and I guess it's now easier with technology, and you can still be answering quote emails while you're on the golf course. A hundred percent, and you know? I mean, I think a lot of it too has to do with your business management style. I've been very lucky. I mean, my grandfather wanted his finger on everything. He mm-hmm. was what I would consider today to be a micromanager of. I mean, every decision, yeah. every everything he made, all of those decisions, not in a vacuum, but. I mean, whatever he wanted to do is what happened. Um, And my dad was uh, basically 180 degrees from that. He was a find the best people to do the job and then let them do their job, oversee them, um, check on them, make sure they're doing what they should be doing. If they need your help, offer some input, Mm -hmm. but hire people who are better than you to do those jobs and you manage those people. And so I was really lucky kind of from afar to watch those two different right. styles work. And um, I came back here in 2001, 2000, I guess, 2000. Um, and Or I made the decision to come back in 2000. Technically, I guess I came back in 2001, yeah. right after the first of the year. But um, it was great because my grandfather was still here. My dad had kind of taken over the... leadership role of the company. Uh, But my grandfather was still here and I came back and got to um, this office that we're in now. That was kind of one of my projects uh, to build. And so we built this new office and moved in here, moved my grandfather in with us. Um, And so all three of us were here for about, uh, it's been a while, but I think it was six months, seven months and I uh, realized pretty quickly that my grandfather was, he, this was not his cup of tea. No. Um, not only the building itself, but just kind of the way that we operated right. was not for him. And, and he didn't have as much direct relationship with the business at the time. He okay. had started some other businesses. Um, he got into the car wash business and um, had a decent real estate portfolio. And so right. he was doing his own stuff, but having him here in the office with dad and myself, 
um, you know, it was hard for him because he was used to being in control. Yeah. And so um, I joke with my dad that he had the world's shortest um, tenure as the leader of the company because <laughs> my grandfather was here, you know, for the five or six years that I wasn't here, yeah. even though my dad was technically, technically in, you know, in yeah. charge of things. And then I roll in and uh, probably the greatest gift my dad ever gave me was kind of letting me do what yeah. I wanted to do. I mean, I think people who know our family and have grown up with us, you know, will tell you that I'm probably an interesting mix. Well, I'm an interesting mix regardless, but <laughs> an interesting mix of both my grandfather and father and their management styles and leadership styles. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a pretty unique just knowing other people from Oklahoma, other friends of mine who grew up in family businesses, very few of them, you know, make it past the second or third generation. Right. Um, or they sell out or, you know, different things happen. Yeah. But um, to be able to have two uh, men of integrity uh, to grow up and learn from uh, was a blessing that, you know, very few people. Right get in a family business situation. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it's been great and I've loved being back here and mm -hmm. being, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, there's no other place. There's lo lots of places I like to go. Yeah. Um, but there's no other place I'd want to live. Um, right. At least permanently. I could maybe live three or four months somewhere. Um, but Oklahoma is always home and, uh, we were joking before we started this, we were talking about um, my friend Shannon at Oklahoma Hall of Fame. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're just, we both love Oklahoma and everything there is about it. The people, right. uh, the character of the people, the, the spirit, everything about it um, is kind of who we are. Uh, and so I would never want to be anywhere else and I love that our family business is here and that we can grow it and not just be in Oklahoma we can do stuff outside of the state right um, and technology allows us to do that without having to mm -hmm. move to Houston or move to you know some other place where all the other oil companies are or other things are going on we can stay here and um, kind of promote Oklahoma and show people that hey there are great things going on yeah here. continuing to grow and keep doing this thing and like it's i'm sure you've seen you know i i've been here too long but i've been here long enough to see a change so i can't imagine what it's been like for you to grow up in it and see everything that's coming that's, that's how happened. i know i'm getting old because <laughs> i i think of like you know we still call uh the hefner parkway you know the lake road because yeah. you know, when i was growing up i mean that didn't i, I don't think lake hefner parkway came till i was in college um, in the early 90s, if I remember right, because I brought back some friends my freshman year and it was still like a four lane asphalt road right. um, out there. And then we came back when they came back for uh, Kristen and my wedding in 98. They were like, oh, my gosh, like it's totally different than it was seven years ago. Like we drove all these different places. And it's true. I mean, yeah. a lot happened kind of in that time frame, the 90s, if you will, uh, here right. in Oklahoma City to kind of set the stage for where we are today. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great. It's been fun to see uh, see the changes and see, um, you know, I would have never guessed growing up that we would have a professional basketball team here. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the joke was always, oh, well, maybe we'll get an NHL team. Um, and I say joke just because it was, it seemed so far-fetched. I mean, we had like three or four different right. semi-professional hockey teams that people didn't even know what, nobody, like, cared about. nobody knew what the hockey rules were. They just went to watch them fight yeah. and had no idea what the actual rules of <laughs> hockey were. And so the idea that we would have a professional Actually, yeah. team come here seemed like I don't know how that's going to work um, but then to be here when the Hornets came and to see the way the city embraced that situation and where we are today um, you know it's great I, I think it's something that those of us that grew up here and you know love Oklahoma have probably told people yeah. our entire lives um, at SMU there were plenty of Oklahoma people um, but a lot of Texas people, a lot of people from California, um, and I'm, I was always shocked at how many people at SMU in Dallas had never spent any time or even yeah. been to Oklahoma. And, 
it was great to be able to share, you know, right. my hometown with them and uh, show them around. And so it's even better now having something like the Thunder sure. that people nationally can see and be like, oh, those seem like pretty great people yeah, there. And okay. then they, they come here and like, oh, there's actually more than a basketball team here. There's actually some other cool stuff as right. well. Right. No, I mean, culturally, we've grown uh, tremendously. Uh, I think just the whole... I think the thing that the Thunder gave people in Oklahoma City was just kind of a little more pride. I think, you know, for a lot of times people were, or for a long time, not me, but I think a lot of people were embarrassed to be from Oklahoma because they thought, oh, all these other places are way better. Um, You know me well enough to know that, you know, I kind of like to be the thorn um and so i I have no problem yeah i've always been a proud oklahoman and you know whether we would travel when i was a kid to new york or to you know california or wherever and people would ask where we were from i would always say oklahoma city oklahoma and they're like where yeah and like oklahoma city oklahoma like how do you not know where that is yeah um and when in college when we would travel places people would you know, be like, oh, he's from Oklahoma. And I was like, no, I'm from Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's been great to see the city grow and to see um, the people here. I mean, my kids, um, you know, are happy to be from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great for kids to grow up here, go out, experience other things, and then make their own decision whether they want to come back right. or not. But there's a lot to come back to now. So. Yeah. Well, and to that point, like you've been the family business and you, you know, and your dad, granddad have always been involved in the city as well, not just the oil side of things or the fuel side of things. It's you've been involved in, you know, all these boards that you volunteer on and stuff like that. Like that's something that, and, you know, if you go to the website, like integrity is a huge part of the business. And you mentioned it earlier as well. Like it's it's not just the oil stuff. Like you've just been a part of the city and its people for a very long time. Yeah, it's and I've been lucky. My my parents, my mom and dad in particular, um, are huge believers in the idea that to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, they. I grew up in a family that, you know, volunteered. Uh, my my mom and dad volunteered uh, their time, you know, their talents and their treasures um, anytime they could. And, you know, one of the things my mom always told me was, we may not have a lot of treasures, Matt, but we have a lot of time and we have a lot of talents. So yeah. we need to use those where we can. And uh, sorry, that uh, just... Th- Thinking about my mom, she just had a great influence on my willingness to give back, yeah. you know, in the community because she spent a ton of time um, doing that and as well as my dad. Um, but what a gift for a kid to see that yeah. from their parents right? Um, and know that, hey, yeah, we have an eight hour work day here, but honestly... I'm probably here four hours, you know, doing, Yeah, I'm using air quotes, work <laughs> stuff. Um, and then, you know, three or four hours doing volunteer stuff, whether it's coaching, you know, our kids' athletic teams or whether it's sitting on boards or whether it's, you know, helping out at school or yeah. whatever. I mean, my parents never missed an athletic event of mine uh, my entire life. Um I say that. I think they missed one game, but they were actually chairing an event for the school that night. Sure. Um, and were unable to make it to um, a regional basketball game that we played. Um, but I think that's the only game that we that they missed. And so, um, you know, they that was just a big part of what was important to them. It wasn't just about, oh, hey, you've got to have a business and you've got to be successful in the business. I mean, that's sure that's important because that allows you to do other things mm-hmm. but um they've always been financially and um you know time supportive of as many things as they could yeah um, and i think that's you know again i think that's part of being um oklahoman in a weird way i think there's something about people here will uh you know 
get together and help out where they see a need. You right. know, if there's a tornado or if there's a, um, you know, during the bombing. I mean, there's so many things here that you can look back on and just be like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing mm-hmm. how people here react in times of need. And then, you know, those are obviously big things that are covered nationally but just on a day-to-day basis i mean i think every board that i've sat on over the years has had you know 20 plus people on those boards and that's you don't need that many people right to volunteer you almost have to to turn people down right Right. you you really have to apply to this so you can you know yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you could do the work that a lot of these, you know, boards do with five or ten, yeah. you know, people max. But you have so many people who are interested and are willing mm-hmm. um, to help and spend the time. And I think that's, um, you know, that says a lot yeah. about who, and, who and we I are. And I think the a, a lot of the people that I know that are on the boards here, it's not just I'm on this board because it's a resume builder. It's I'm on this board because I generally care what's going on and I want to help impact what it is that that I have to live around. A hundred percent. And I think that's, um, I don't know. I guess, I guess I've never looked at, you know, serving on a nonprofit board as being a resume builder right. just because I'm not sure. Well, probably because I work for a family business and myself. <laughs> and so I'm not really looking to go anywhere sure. else. I can't remember the last time I had a resume yeah. actually printed up. Um, but I think you're right. I think people here, um, want to be involved and want to be a part of that change and be a part of the growth of Oklahoma City and, and Oklahoma as a state. And so I think it's great the way people um, are willing to volunteer yeah. um, and volunteer especially their time because I think that's something that a lot of people um, a lot of people think, oh, well, if you don't have money, how are you going to, yeah. you know, how are you going to make a change or how are you going to help? Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, the money is an important piece and you know as somebody who's worked on many a development committee Mm -hmm. i can tell you you've got to find people that have money to help make things go um but you've also i think just importantly you've got to have people that are willing to get in there and do the work that nobody else wants to do right um and organize things and you know do all the detail work that makes you know events or makes things special um my mom used to always say it's easy to write the check, but it's hard to do the yeah. hours and hours of work that it takes beforehand to do the other. And she said they're both equally important. Mm-hmm. But she said writing the check just takes, you know, a few minutes. Yeah. You know, and, and she wrote a lot of small checks to a lot of small things that she couldn't help, mm-hmm. um, but she could write a check for. Um, but then she would spend... Yeah. You know, she would work what would be the equivalent of two full-time jobs doing events for different people and, and not things. see a cent for it. Right. Yeah. But she did it because she loved the Junior League of Oklahoma City or she loved, you know, Heritage Hall School or mm-hmm. she loved, um, you know, Kappa Alpha Theta um, sorority or, um, you know, whatever it was at the right. time, whatever um, in particular um, cause that she thought needed help. Um, yeah. She was all in. So, but I don't think she, I like to think of her as being unique, but the older I get, the more I recognize that there are a lot of people who do that. Um, and it's a pretty special, yeah. uh, it's a pretty special trait for sure. Yeah. So you, after you, like I said, you graduate college, you come, you go work for Phillips and how, so you always kind of, you said you always kind of knew you wanted to go back to the family business. I did. I, I we used to play this game when we were little about, you know, if you had three wishes, what would your wishes be? You yeah. Know? And one of them is always to have more wishes, of course. <laughs> um, Never even thought of that. Right. Well, you hadn't? No, oh, no, come no, on. I do, yeah. In but, Wales, you guys yeah. don't want more wishes? You got to yeah, use just, one wish you, for more wishes. Usually it's just to stop raining. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, that, that, that could take three wishes. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but... I used to, I, and, and I still tell people this. I mean, if I could give, if I had one wish, I would just wish that everybody, you know, could live a life like mine. I mean, yeah. I've been super blessed with unbelievable parents, grandparents, um, you know, and to be able to live in a place that, um, in a city that fosters that kind of, um, you know, family right. um, unity and, and lets us do the things that, you know, we want to do and help other people and all of that. And so I think, um, 
feel like I'm getting off from what your actual question was, but, you know, coming back here and being able to do all of that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, has just been, I knew from an early age, I wanted to come back and work with my dad. Now, you know, like I said, I, I would probably, had I not grown up in this business, this probably would not have been something I would have thought of as being a business I wanted to get into. Um, but we do other, I mean, we do some real estate stuff. We invest in things we do. It's nice now that it's not just a oil and gas business, um, distribute, distributing, um, fuel. We have a transportation company. Um, we do some other stuff, yeah. you know, that is kind well, of splintered off of that. Well, that was smart for guys to do because if you solely rely on oil, you're going to have stressful days. Like today, for example, yesterday was not a good day for oil, right? Right. You yeah, know? yesterday and was not a good day yeah. for, yeah, for anybody listening. Uh, it, you know, we had the Dow had its biggest uh, daily drop. I think it was over 2,000 points down. And yeah. uh, oil went down almost 30% yesterday. And um, although we don't really, we're what you consider a super downstream. We're basically the end of the line sure. uh, for oil products, but it has an effect on gas prices uh, for sure. Parts of the day yesterday, gas was down 28, 29 cents a gallon mm-hmm. on the market. Um, it closed a little bit higher than that, I think, but um, still that's a big yeah. big daily drop. Um, in fact, one that we haven't really seen we saw it go up after 9-11. Um, that day, prices rose 25 to 30 cents yeah. in a day, but we haven't seen a drop like that, um, at least that I can remember. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. mean, but it's fun to be back here. When does the racing stuff come in? Um, we've always sold... When, when my grandfather uh, was in charge of the business, He, like I said, he kind of... He made all the decisions kind of in a vacuum, but he loved the distribution part of the name Red Rock Distributing. So um, he loved real estate. Um, He liked the oil and gas piece of it, but um, we were a lawn boy um, mower distributor, got coolers. Um, We had a lubricants business that we were a distributor for. Uh, We had a what was called a TBNA business, tires, batteries, and accessories for service stations. We did that. Um, We had um, a couple of trucks. I wouldn't call it a transportation business at that time, but it was, we we had a few trucks. Um, So we were running about seven different businesses out of Red Rock Distributing, um, all of them with some tangible connection, but you know, probably yeah. not all um, going to the same place roughly. Right. All well, these places yeah. are selling I mean, a lot the same of, similar at least some similar, yeah. right. There, there were some similarities between them. And, um, in the mid nineties when I was graduating from school and going to work for Phillips and dad and I kind of started talking about, you know, working on a plan for me to come back and yeah. how that was going to work and timing and so forth. Um, we were in Colorado and, um, having dinner at one of our favorite places and he was like what do you think if we just started like pairing back and found a couple of things that we did really well yeah. instead of doing seven things kind of you know okay I mean they're all they're, right. they're fine but w- what would you think about you know pairing back and just doing two or three things and I said oh well I mean if you pair back too far there's not going to be enough for me yeah. to do when I come back and he reassured me that this was probably a good idea and it, w- it was a fantastic decision on his part and we sold off um, the lubricants business we sold off all the other yeah. uh, pieces of the business except for um, including the convenience stores um, but the ones that we kept were the wholesale fuel company uh, the racing fuel division and the transportation business and the reason we kept the racing fuel business is because that's the only fuel um, division that has any margin okay. um, racing fuel has a much higher margin because it basically starts with a basic what's called a blend stock which is just regular unlead or whatever but then they most racing fuel back in the 90s was made um, kind of in the chemicals division of big oil companies Um, and so they would you know 
add things to the fuel to you know get the octanes yeah, higher yeah. and um, specific for performance engines and things and you frankly mike you probably know more about compression ratios and all kinds of things i wanted to know like was it just is it was it a margin thing or was it like someone in the family has just a passion for racing as well and wanted to go to these races it was a hundred percent uh that it was a margin business unfortunately um but it was also that there weren't you know back in the 90s there were like i said i mean we did in the early 2000s, we did six acquisitions, um, and other companies like us were doing the same thing. So I don't know what the, how much the industry shrunk as sure. far as numbers of people, but from a racing fuel standpoint, um, you know, there were probably a dozen maybe that sold racing fuel in the state compared to, you know, three or four hundred that sold. Yeah. Um, you know, gas and diesel and, and whatever else. Mm-hmm. So um, it did, it was already kind of a small business. There were only two or three other suppliers in Oklahoma City. And so margins were good and it was a good business. Then, you know, when the state fairgrounds closed their track, um, that didn't help racing fuel in Oklahoma City. Sure. Um, neither did laws that changed for MTBE and other things that made it um, a little bit harder for yeah. um, and more expensive for guys to, uh, uh, from a hobby standpoint, to race cars. And so it's still a part of our business. It's considerably smaller today than it was, mm-hmm. you know, when I very first came back. Um, but we still, we have people that come into our office, you know, literally every day to buy racing fuel but thursdays and fridays are big racing fuel days here they'll come in and um you know fill up their jugs or buy drums of fuel and um take it with them to wherever they're the tracks they're going to yeah yeah and for a while we we did we and we still do have um a sponsorship program um but there was a there was a time when we sponsored 15 or 18 um yeah different People in all, I mean, we had a guy that raced jet skis. We had a guy that raced um, motocross. We had um, we had two or three kids, including a young girl who was 12 or 13, right. who had a drag car, which I didn't even know you could drive a drag car if you weren't 16, but apparently right. the rules are different. There are no rules. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so we had some, you know, we had, we sponsored kids. We sponsored pretty much somebody in all kinds of different, yeah. um, you know, facets of racing. Um, and that was, it was great exposure for us. And it was, um, you know, a good part of our business. And today, like I said, we still do it. It's just on a much smaller scale because right. there's not as much uh, racing that happens in Oklahoma City. People are going to Norman or going to... Sure. Um, you know, smaller tracks kind of outside of Oklahoma City. And so there's a few racetracks that we still sell. Yeah, because I guess the real close one would be Hallett, right? Kind of, with more Uh, more cars. And then there's like a go-kart track in Norman that they use drift car racing for. Right. And Hallett's by far the, I mean, that's up, you know, in the Bartlesville area. It's it's definitely more more the road road course. Um, You get a lot of the higher-end cars, they go up there mm-hmm. um, and they hold races up there. But most of the Oklahoma City racers are guys running what I would call midget cars or sprint cars, sure. uh, dirt track cars, um, things like that. There's still a yeah. decent uh, motocross um, contingency here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, the Raynard family and Norman still builds engines, I think, and oh, really? trains people for motocross. Um, and so we still get some of their yeah. people that come up and get get fuel. But um, we've, we actually we had a couple of convenience stores, um, one in Nichols Hills um, and a couple in western Oklahoma that sold uh, 101 octane racing fuel yeah. um, before they switched the MTBE rules um, and 
I now that they've switched them. You can still get it in a couple of spots, right. but um, some 93, of the 7-11s now carry 93. Right, 93 is pretty much the highest um, octane that you see most places yeah. sell around here. 91 is considered super, um, and you can't even buy 93 wholesale in Oklahoma. You have to bring it in from Arkansas. Oh, really? Um, but there, we sell 93 here at our office, and then um, I think there's couple of stores up north in Oklahoma City that still sell 93. Yeah. Um, but it's all brought in from out of state. Sure. So. And, and I mean, you went to one of my favorite. Formula One's about to start this weekend, which by the time this goes out, the race <laughs> would have already started. But you got to go to Monaco, right? I did. That was... Uh, I would have, I mean, that wasn't even on, honestly, that wasn't even on my bucket list of something to do. My sister and her husband had, uh, my brother-in-law had bought tickets to go um, and something came up at his work and they were not going to be able uh, to go. I mean, he knew a couple of months out that they were not going to be able to go. Um, And so they ended up, calling my dad and saying, Hey, would you guys like, you know, how about, why don't you and Matt go? And so my dad and I went to Monaco. Um, we actually stayed in Nice for four days. Um, and then just Mm -hmm. went over to Monaco every day. Um, and our shell rep put us in contact with, um, the guys, um, who were in charge of the F1 team. We got to go on a tour of yeah. all of the um, different teams, race setups. We got to go in the garage. Um, we got to spend time in the trailers where basically they're analyzing the fuel sure. and everything else that's going on second by second. Every The date is crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And the amount of money that is spent on cars racing around and the amount of money people have that are sitting in the stands especially at these events <laughs> yeah. is or on their yacht yeah right? i mean it's unbelievable um one of my jobs when i was at phillips was i worked on their nascar program yeah. um for a couple of years and again this is all only funny because i can barely change the tire um, <laughs> on a car i mean well, I, and I'm, I'm usually a bigger fan of calling AAA. But and the difference from NASCAR to Formula One, like the cultural difference too, it's completely different. 100%. But it's the interesting thing about auto racing is that you can have a guy who doesn't have, who spent his very last dollar to come to the race yeah. sitting next to a person who just flew in on their private jet or has a $2 million motorhome yeah. parked outside at a NASCAR Whose name's race. name's probably on the side of one of the, one of the cars. Right, but they're yeah. sitting right next to each other, yeah. and you wouldn't know the difference yeah. between that. You know, maybe they're dressed a little bit differently or, you know, they whatever. They could be but, both wearing NASCAR shirts. Yeah. A lot of times, you can't tell the difference. Yeah. And, and I, I learned that in the NASCAR uh, business, if you will, um, early on, that you can't judge, you know, yeah. the book by its cover, if you will. Um, and when we went to Monaco for that race, um, it was shocking, um, how many people it was there, you know, they had saved up every last dollar and were there. And then you saw people on helicopters being shuttled back and forth from a Red Bull floating boat in the Harbor, you know, to get on their seat, to get in their seats. Um, so it's, uh, it's a crazy um, it's a crazy sport, mm-hmm. um, but it's also amazing to learn all the technology that's actually developed. It's basically an R and D. Yeah, it's play mad how much what money it is. they I spend mean, on R and D. It has nothing to do with. Yes, it has something to do with winning races and you know so on and so forth. But the amount of money they spend, they don't get back from like right. an advertising base. People there are not supporting Lewis Hamilton and going yeah. out and buying. Mercedes because he's the greatest driver yeah. ever. They're buying a Mercedes because the technology that they put into their cars is down. ridiculous yeah. and is in, you know, the newest Mercedes. Same thing with, you know, Ferrari. Most people that's not on yeah. their, you know, day to day buying list. But when you I had the opportunity to sit in a McLaren, um, which I doubt I will ever have another yeah. opportunity to sit in again. Um, but just to sit in that car and just, I mean, There's it's no un- room I think it weighed like 25 or 2,600 pounds. I mean, yeah. it's, I think a go-kart that I had probably weighed that much back in, sure. you know, 
1979. I mean, it's unbelievable the um, the things that they do in Formula One, and um, it's great to be able to see it in cars today. Yeah, definitely. What about, um, I guess, future of, you know, Red Rock and obviously, you know, you got two kids, um, Micah and Bella. Bella. Yeah. Uh, Micah share a passion for this stuff. Do you think he's going to continue? It's interesting. I don't know. Um, my our oldest, our daughter just turned sixteen, um, and she's always had a little bit of an interest um, in the company. And Micah, um, I don't think it's so interesting. I don't know that kids today know exactly what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd agree with that. I still don't you know, know what I, I want to <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think there's so many more options today because you can literally start. I mean, I, I joke with the kids that they're not going to be influencers on, you know, Instagram or anything, but no YouTube, but, but maybe that, they will. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's plenty of non-traditional things um, now that that people can aspire to do, and which I think is great. Um, but that shows you how old I am that I'm you know, thinking that that's not possible. Um, but I just want them to get a good education in case that doesn't work. Just in case. Um, but you know, I hope one of them would take an interest and want to come back, but you know, I didn't, I say, I always wanted to come back and work with my dad. I always wanted to come back and work with him. But, um, honestly, I always thought, you know, if there was a way I could come back and work with him and, you know, do something in, um, you know, in the fashion industry, that would be, I would love to do both of those. Shockingly, there's not much crossover between selling gas to convenience stores and fashion. Um, unless it's bad fashion. Um, yeah, you, you, if your delivery drivers show up in Gucci, like the Italian police officers wear, no one at the gas station is going to care. Right. right. I mean, a lot Sadly. of questions start getting asked. Yeah. Um, I get asked a lot of questions already. Um, but yeah, that it, it could be a problem. Um, but I hope the kids, I hope, I hope one of them or both of them. Yeah. I mean, it's um, my daughter would be uh, awesome. Uh, running this business just like my son would. Yeah. I mean, they, they both are super smart and um, both have a lot of ideas. Just, I mean, they remind me a lot of me. They have a lot of ideas and things that they think could yeah. happen. And, you know, maybe they come back and, you know, keep the gas distribution piece going and they sure. decide to add something else that, that you know, yeah. I'm sure if I asked Micah today, he would say he would want to have a gaming business on the side. You, you can know. have a drone delivery service. Right, or something. Like I mean, he would come up with some other, you know, crazy angle and Bella's probably a little bit, both of the kids like clothes, but yeah. Bella I could definitely see as being somebody who would um, kind of share a little bit of that. Uh, passion of mine and trying to figure out a way to do something mm-hmm. in that area as well. But if they decide they want to do something else, I, sure. I, I, I just want them to be happy and successful in whatever they do. But um, it's, you know, people tell you all the time it's, it's in your blood. Right. And I never really bought into that. But um, it would be hard for me. We talk about it just with consolidation. If somebody came in and said, hey, we want to buy you out. I don't know that I would, it would be a hard thing for right. me to say, okay, well, let's talk about this regardless of what kind of a financial. Because of the family know, legacy and everything that's well, because tied of the, to Yeah, it. the legacy and just, I mean, it's, you know, it's what we do. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that we couldn't do something else, but um, it would have to be a really good situation in right. order to stop doing it because I think it's allowed our family, um, it's blessed our family with so many um, different opportunities and things. I just, I would, I would hate to not be doing it and not have that opportunity for my kids if they right. wanted it. Yeah, for sure. I, you'd miss it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, I mean, I, I started working here when I was, uh, well, I was probably six, five or six Yeah. when I would go and, clean the tops of this is back when we had a lubricants business and I would go to the warehouse on we used to be open on Saturdays and we stopped that as soon as I came back um, working yeah. on Saturdays didn't seem like a great <laughs> idea Mike um, it's time to play golf yeah um, or watch football or whatever it is that you right, do on well, Saturdays well anything yeah. anything um, but 
yeah, I started off with a kerosene heater and I would clean off the tops of oil cans that had been damaged and we would, um, I'd put the oil into a funnel and then we'd repackage it all and, um, you know, do that. And so, you know, I pretty much worked here my entire life, except for when I was in college. And even then, um, I got a little check every month for going around and checking prices in Dallas and checking different things, bringing back ideas from convenience stores down there for my dad. Um, so it would be hard to give it up for sure. Awesome. Well, um, mate, I really appreciate this time. We know we've known each other quite a while and played a lot of golf together, but it uh, means a lot to sit down, share the family story. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, it's been great. I love listening to, this is Oklahoma and hearing all your other people. It's, it's a great podcast and I hope you have all the success you deserve. And I hope so too. I, uh, I just love doing it and I'm sure, uh, our mutual friend Shannon has listened to this and she's jumping up and down walking or driving the car, laughing her head off right now. Cause we finally got you on the podcast. She's waving her flag. I'm going to go get my <laughs> flag and wave my Oklahoma flag. Awesome. Well, mate, I really appreciate it. Um, for everyone listening, I'll post uh, all the stuff below, all the links. So if you want to go check out the website or the history um, and yeah, go follow Matt on social media. I'll post all, all of his stuff below. If you want any fashion chips, he's your man for that. Just bought two pairs of six shoes, which I hope you keep both of them because they're both really cool. Uh, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast was presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who've been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at OklahomaHOF.com and definitely on Instagram at OklahomaHOF. Catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.